0: This episode of Angular Air is sponsored by Angular Class. If you're looking to learn the latest and greatest in modern web development techniques, or you need Angular 2 training, then sign up today at AngularClass.com. Hello and welcome to Angular Air. I'd like to start today thanking some of our sponsors. First our platinum sponsor Auth0. Uh, Modern authentication can be hard, uh, but Auth0 makes it easy. I use Auth0, and I love it, and a lot of people who use Angular also use Auth0, so definitely check it out. Find out about adding authentication to your Angular 1 or 2 app in under 10 minutes at auth0.com slash Angular. And I'd also like to thank ThoughtRam, our friends at ThoughtRam, regular organized workshops, webinars, and even free training days near you, so find out more at thoughtram.io training dot All right, and on our panel today, we have Olivier Cohen. Hi, guys. And Josh Moot. Hi. Josh is a guest panelist for today uh, from the Angular Connect uh, team, and he uh, uses uh, Ionic, knows a little bit about it, so he was going to help us with our discussion talking about uh, Ionic 2. This is the... Second week of uh, three in a row that we're doing on different uh, mobile-related frameworks with Angular 2. And I'm really excited about today's episode because I'm a huge Ionic fan. Uh, I've been using Ionic 2 for some of our stuff that's still in development, and I have, like, a gazillion questions. Uh, so this is going to be great. Let's meet our guests from the Ionic team, starting with uh, Adam.
1: Hello, everyone. My name's Adam Bradley. I'm the lead uh, developer on Ionic. Hey guys, I'm uh, Tim Lencina. I work on tooling
2: here at IA. And then Brandy. Hey everyone, I'm Brandy Carney, and I'm also a developer working on IOTIC.
0: And then finally Mike.
3: What's up? I'm Mike. <laughs> you good, probably good. talked to me in the before in the in the Slack channel forum. I'm the developer friend.
0: Short and sweet. I like it, Mike. All right, so. Ionic Two is in beta, and my first question is, uh, how is it going?
1: It's going great. I think we've been putting a, a lot, a lot of work into it in the last like nine months or so, and it's pretty exciting because just uh, I feel like just in the last month it's really kind of solidified of the the framework underneath. Like the, the Angular Two side of things has stopped changing on us. You know, we finally have gotten a, a made sense of it all of what we want to do with Ionic Two, um, and it's great because we're getting so many users like you know, submitting like, ideas and issues that are fixing bug requests, or um, issues, so it's actually going really well, um, <laughs> pretty excited bug requests, pretty excited about it.
0: That's awesome, so can you give us some idea of some of the adoption rates so far in terms of how many people from like both who have been using Ionic 1, have started to use Ionic 2, and then how many new people have started to use
1: it? Sure, yeah. So so what's great is with Ionic 2, we're really using NPM like we should have been from the, from the start. So with that, we're getting a lot of good stats. Um, so our CLI has always been in NPM, and that still continues to see, you know, 4,000 to 5,000 downloads a day um, and, and continuing to grow. Um, and we just switched. What's kind of weird is like this week, last week, we kind of switched between using the Ionic framework NPM um, module to ionic angular so because of that our numbers are a little weird, but normally we're seeing around 800 NPM um, downloads per day. Um, just in our beta and even in alpha You know it's, it's quite a it's quite a bit of interest in it, so it's, it's actually been a lot of fun, so um, It's just starting to take off and it really is kind of grown a lot so we're really excited about it
4: So
0: what's been going good so far what hasn't been going well?
1: What what's been going well um? Actually, so we made we made a lot of changes to um, kind of what how the navigation worked between version one and version two, and version two kind of has more of a push pop um, concept, which is more native like. And um, I was pretty hesitant at first, and that's why Angular one really had more of a URL based structure, um, more of like more web app because we're you know we kind of like you know web developers are using it, so it was more you know web HTML. Um, But with Ion 2 and using our own like push-pop navigation system I've been really impressed really amazed seeing what people are actually doing with it And like so we've got all these you know hundreds of unit tests of what you can do with push-pop You know if something gets added and removed within a millisecond it knows how to handle it And so I've I've got all these tests I know it can do these things but when I actually see what people are creating with it and like how they have Nested tabs inside of a you know modal inside of a side menu. They can just go crazy with this this new structure Um, so I guess The coolest part that I've seen is what I'm seeing people do with the navigation and the new navigation.
0: Um, Yeah, yeah. just a question on that, because, uh, you know, I love uh, universal apps, like, running in different contexts and that type of thing, and and so I know that people do write Ionic apps that run on the web, so what's the story with using your built-in navigation on the web
1: yeah, so absolutely. So one thing I want to point out is that it's the push pop is not a router. It is it is merely the the developer has full control of exactly how it's going to work. They can say I want to push on this page, I want to pop five pages. It's completely up to them. After that happens, it then can update the URL of saying okay, this is the state of the app at this moment. And so the difference between version one and version two is that version one used the URL to tell the app what to do. And so it's always like looking at the URL like, okay, you, you want this URL to happen, so that means I'm supposed to load up this structure. With version two, it's kind of the opposite of where, the, where the developer says, I want this to exactly happen in this order, these, I, these views to be in the stack, and then after the fact, after the developer says, this is how it's supposed to be structured, and then updates the URL and says, okay, this is like our breadcrumb of the state of the app at the moment. So under the hood, a, a router isn't required whatsoever but you can still add the router to then remember the state that you're at. And um, there's been a lot of changes in the Angular 2 router um, in the last month or so. So right now there's probably about 75% of it complete in Ionic 2. Um, So so simple navigation will work fine with URL updates. It's the more complex stuff of a tab within a tab. Um, But that said, it's going to be just as easy, um, actually it's going to be much, much more easier than it was before. Because now, like, kind of the app is updating itself what the URL structure is. And you're not having to reverse engineer of, like, parsing a part of a string to make sense of what this is supposed to do. So uh, the developer has a lot more control, so.
5: Have you considered using UI Router version 2?
1: We are not using UI Router. So, um, so, again, like, the, the core of Ionic has its own navigation structure, which it, which allows us to be, you know, have full control of like what happens between the views because it's actually very complicated to you know when a view is halfway through and the person hits the back button what's it supposed to do and that's where we got into a lot of issues with UI routers because we kind, of, we kind of gave up control at that point of all right it's halfway done or the user wants to have three pages behind this one and you hit the back button those ones are supposed to load um, doing it through the URL first was the challenge um, so yeah so with our with our own we're able to set that up and then use Angular 2's router Really, we're just kind of using its parser of the URL and being able to update the URL side of things. But um, yeah, I, I'd say that's the biggest difference, and we're not using UI Router at all in, in V2. OK.
0: Somewhat related um, does Ionic allow for deep linking?
1: For deep linking? So you mean like if they had a certain URL that they wanted to go to and they wanted to load up the app?
0: In Android, uh, you can. Uh, if you're using Android native, and I haven't checked into whether you can do this on my or not, so maybe you can. But, uh, you know, from a URL on the web, you can kind of redirect to a specific screen on the actual native mobile
1: yeah. app. I haven't personally proven it and used it, but it's absolutely possible. And what's that kind of cool is, like, if you had a certain URL, like, you could come up with your own, like, slash Jeff, right? It could it could populate this app to exactly how you wanted it, where you're like, I want to be on tab two. I want to be three pages in on tab two. I want to load up this data. You know, so like you can be very, very specific according to whatever crazy deep
2: linking URL you provide.
0: OK, cool. All right, so I'd like to go over you know, a number of like cool things that you guys have been working on. I, I picked out like a couple things, but I'm sure there's going like, to maybe be other ones that have kind of come up along the way. Uh, starting off with uh, Ionic Creator, so this is something that uh, you, you know you did create. I think it was like six months ago, six seven months, something like that. Um, so maybe do you want to give us an a overview of what Ionic Creator is and what it does?
3: Yeah, so Creator is is basically taking everything that uh, you know stuff that the company has done before with. Um, you know, drag and drop uh, interface builders, uh, and pushing that forward and really uh, building mobile apps uh, using Ionic and driving everything underneath. Um, yeah, like you said, it's been—it's we pushed, we put it out uh, some time ago, but uh, in recent months, it's gotten a—it's lo- uh, gotten a lot of uh, uh, attention t- put towards it, and it's a million times better than uh, you know the first uh, initial release. Uh, you know, it's actually exporting code that you would expect uh, you as a developer to write. You know, things are properly separated out that way. You're not getting just boilerplate HTML and kind of weird-looking controller files. You're actually getting everything properly structured.
1: Yeah, and and the, the first, ver- first version that you're probably familiar with was kind of like an experiment. Like, we hacked it together to see if this would be a good idea. Um, quickly saw that a lot of people liked it, and, like, since those last four months, we actually, you know, we've hired on a full-time developer that's dedicated to just improving um, Ionic Creator. And it's actually really starting to stabilize. Um, and like Mike was saying, like the structure it provides is more natural to what the developer would want to see.
0: Yeah, I mean, I know even <clears throat> when it first came out, uh, and it's gotten better over time, the thing that I've always found most useful with the Ionic Creator wasn't necessarily designing my screen exactly, but just you know, especially when you're starting to get into Ionic 2 and the APIs and such, uh, instead of, like, looking it up and and trying to figure out from the documentation what to use, if you do that and then just, like, look at the code, sometimes it's, like, a lot easier to then parse out and translate to what you're trying to do. At least for me, that's kind of how I found it. But I'm curious what you guys have seen, like, who is actually using it? Like, what audience, uh, is it mostly what I kind of just described, or is there other use cases as well?
3: So it's really targeting uh, you know, people who want to either prototype uh, the app first, kind of figure out what direction do they want to go uh, go in, do they want maybe a tabs layout, maybe they want a side menus layout, or do they just want a single linear uh, app. And then it's also targeted to like the more hardcore developers who don't want to spend time, uh, you know, getting all those simple structure, getting all the buttons on there, they can just Prototype it. Put a uh, static content in there, and then they can start hooking up all their services. And you know, it's kind of going for both the beginners and for the more advanced at the same exact time.
0: So I'm curious whether you think, at some point in the future, you get to the level where somebody could, for simple apps at least, design it in Creator, publish it, potentially without even writing any code. Like have like a little like mobile app. Like, do you think you'll ever get to get to that point?
1: Yeah, you know, I'd love to get to that point, but but, I mean, let's let's be honest, there are certain things that people just want. I mean, actually, the the roots of this company, um, before we had Ionic, we had Kodaka, which was a drag-and-drop interface builder for jQuery Mobile, Um, and it worked well. It was very successful, but as us developers on the back end trying to build this out, developers always wanted more and more and more, and there's just certain things you can't put into a uh, a UI, into a drag-and-drop interface, because, like, People wanted Google Maps, so we added a Google Maps feature, but it only had one marker. But then people wanted a different type of markers, like so. Like there's this, there's a certain line of like what you can provide them out of the box, and then like okay, you got to start getting your hands dirty if you want to have a, a big app. Oh sure, yeah, for, for a
0: legit app. I'm just thinking sometimes you just want to like prototype something or have something really simple that uh, maybe one day. <laughs>
1: yeah, no, I, it is actually a good idea, and that's something that I, I, Max and Ben and I have talked about in the in the past of having a static server, making it easier for developers to whip it together, throw it up on the, on the site, and there you have it. And what's also cool is with Ionic 2 you know, and progressive uh, um, web apps, it's going to – all of this stuff is then going to be like we can kind of figure out all the service workers for them and the SSL that they'll need and get all everything all ready. So, like, um, some people – sometimes people forget that Ionic isn't just a Cordova thing. It's actually just a, you know, a website thing, a thing that runs in the browser. So we're also looking heavily into, you know, on the browser too.
0: Yeah, can you talk more about that actually? Uh, Because maybe that doesn't get published as much. So what type of work are you guys doing in that field? You know, I mean, with service workers, with everything else. Is that that built in already or that's kind of like on the future roadmap?
1: That's not a roadmap. So we haven't, you know, there's still, like it won't work in um, Safari, so there's a lot of stuff we've to experiment with yet. Um, but it's absolutely something that's really cool. I mean just in the last year It's amazing the stuff that the browsers have started adding into what's possible and it's really making it You know that the dream that jQuery mobile had you know four or five years ago was to was to run the app on the on a normal web page I feel like it's finally coming possible that we can do things like that um, So and then the, as you know like you know web workers is going to be a possibility We're gonna have multi-threaded JavaScript you know running in an app and What else Then Igor Igor's has? Igor Menares of the Google team has stated that the, the Hello World app should fit within 10 kilobytes payload. Um, and so they're going to be able to get everything really tiny small, get everything multi-threaded, get it onto the web. Um, the work that you're doing with the uh, server-side rendering, I mean, it's just amazing, like, kind of the possibilities that we're just getting into what, um, not just Ionic, but what Angular can do and, like, what all web development can do.
0: Yeah, I mean, I completely agree. I I actually had this as, like, a a section for later in the discussion, but, I I mean, I think that the possibilities for the web in the future, I I feel like although people understand how powerful the web is, and we all are, a lot of people listening to the show are web developers, uh, people continuously, like, underestimate, you know, how quickly things move, like, how much things can change, and I, I think you're right that we're sort of on the... Verge of a whole set of major game-changing innovations that are about to, uh,
1: yeah, you know, right. And I could easily go on a you know two-hour rant about kind of web development and how it's seen as like oh it's just what well, you're a web developer there's just one type of web developer. just like there's one type of car one type of doctor you know so like. I don't think people realize that it's not just for blogs. You can actually, you know, the web platform is extremely powerful, and the stuff that they've added into it just in the last couple of years, really, you know, I2 and Angular 2 has kind of proven it. Um, just with these HTML tags, CSS, and JavaScript, you can really kind of build out some awesome apps.
0: Yeah, and I think you do see that, by the way, in a lot of other communities as well. If you guys you watched uh, the React Conf uh, Videos and talks. They they had a, a talk on uh, someone who did something similar to the app shell using service worker. And I, I think it's very clear that everybody's kind of converging on you know this idea that it won't be long before we do have sort of like you're talking about Adam, you know the, the same type of app type of yeah, right. on the web.
1: And so and, and I'm not I'm not here to, to dig at Internet Explorer, but they, I mean they really it really kind of hurt the web development movement by having IE6, IE8 locked in for so long, but now that those days are kind of getting past us and we have browsers that are self-updating, now we're able to update this stuff very quickly.
0: That's awesome. All right, uh, a couple other things I, I wanted to touch on for the some of the stuff you guys are working on. Uh, so I, I just noticed when I was researching for the show notes here, or the show agenda for today... That uh, you guys had that playground, which seemed pretty awesome. Uh, did you guys want to talk a little bit about that?
5: Um,
2: <laughs> sorry, you were cutting out. I didn't hear what you said.
0: Oh, sorry. I, I was asking about the Ionic Playground.
2: Oh, okay. Um, so we have not and it ready to support um, Ionic 2 yet. We've really been focusing more on getting the API for Ionic 2 beta like ready and Um, better, but um, it's definitely one of the things that is on our roadmap that we want to add support for. Um, Just recently, Tim actually created a code pen that works with Ionic, too, so right now we have that code pen to rely on for people to, like, give us examples through, but it is something that we want to add to Playground, so.
4: Yeah, just to chime in quick, we also use Plunker a lot as well because the typescript translation in the browser and so the code code pen was more proof of concept because that a lot of our uh, tooling around ionic one for managing uh, issues and stuff was built around code pen just so we could kind of make use of it the uh, existing infrastructure to see if it would work so
1: yeah I'm mm-hmm. sorry no, and, no, and, and the challenge that we've had with kind of um, wanting to create out, out the, the playground a bit more is again like the, the being able to transpile stuff to ES5 when they write it in TypeScript or ES6, um, so that's where like um, getting plunker to work was huge. Um, it sounds you know simple, but it's actually it's it's a big it was pretty cool to get that working. And then like Playground, we really like to like push that forward to make it very easy. To, like here's an example, fork this, and then you can um, download it with the examples that we have. So we'd like to put all of our demos on there and use Playground for
5: that.
0: What, what do, you do you think? think Go ahead.
5: Yeah. Uh, do you think that it would it could be something that you open source? Because I know a lot of uh, libraries developers who could use that on their own documentation. What? Open, open, open,
4: open sourcing
5: it. Uh, the the fact that you can um uh, write your code in, in the web page and just ge- okay. get the example working and on the side and yeah, I think we
1: definitely would be up
5: for that. Um I don't is,
1: is
2: open source you know? No. Yeah. No, it's private.
1: <laughs> but yeah, we definitely be open for that because that is like a challenge. And I think some what are some of the other ones that are are pulling it off? Or is it, um, it has something? It has been, some it has yeah, some of them are, are pulling it off with it, you know behind the scenes translation. hmm So the problem I think the biggest issue that Ionic or Angular two developers have are those darn parameter decorators. Um because Babel doesn't like them, and TypeScript needs to have them. Um, that's something we've been kind of dealing with uh, over the last couple of months, of trying to get that working. But um, I believe it's now in uh, stage something or another. Um, so it's, uh, it should be accepted, or hopefully it's added into Babel soon. Um, but with TypeScript it works great. So. Well, yeah, yes. so this,
0: this touches, touches on, our- we have a, okay, <laughs> sorry about that. So this touches on, One thing I'd really be interested in in hearing your guys' thoughts on, you know, as far as the build process. You know, it's awesome, all this new stuff that we're working on, Ionic 2, Angular 2, everything. But there is a cost that, you know, which comes in terms of, like, the transpilation, the the more complicated build process. And I know you guys definitely uh, think about this a lot because one of your goals is to make things easy, right? To make web development easy and to sort of take that onus off of the developer and kind of build it into the tooling. So kind of, could you talk a little bit about what you've done with Ionic 2 to try to mitigate some of that complexity?
4: Yeah, definitely. I think what we're seeing seeing with all of the uh, kind of added build steps and in some cases added complexity is you can do so much more stuff. And so what we've really tried to do is enable you to take advantage of all the cool uh, you know, module dependency management stuff that you can do and the transpilation and getting all the benefits of, you know, writing clean future JavaScript while still kind of making the whole process of setting up the tooling and wiring everything up as simple as possible. So one thing that we've really done over the past months is like kind of just rigorously dog our own setup, <clears throat> tested out all the various technologies that are out there Because what we're really seeing is there's no clear winner at this point. And I think what we wanted was to say, okay, you know, this is the right choice or this is the right choice so that we can tell our users, hey, this is the way to go. Um, And it really, you know, when you get that kind of fragmentation of of available options, you have, like, this problem of choice that then becomes an issue for new users, Um, you want to still expose it without, you know, overwhelming people. And so one recent change that we made was switching off the – the, using Webpack as the default bundler um, for in favor of Browserify. <clears throat> and I'm not uh, super-duper familiar with Browserify. It's been around probably the longest of all the bundlers. I was Personally, I, I use Webpack all the time. Um, but what we found is that the, the bottleneck for kind of new users isn't really build speed. It's, it's looking things up. It's the stuff they don't know. So when you <clears throat> are getting started with an Ionic project, keeping in mind that our goal is to make app development as, as simple and easy as possible, Browserify kind of much more aligned with those values. Um, and the way our build is going to be set up soon, if you want to use Webpack, it's going
1: to be as simple as just plugging it in um, and swapping out Browserify. Yeah, so we're not saying no Webpack. It's not going to work with Webpack. It's, um, absolutely, like, we want to be able to support anything that you want. To, I mean, we just provide a library of JavaScript. You can use it however you want. But then like our CLI and how you get started provides kind of the base defaults of like, this is what we think is like, the best way to get going. And I think, like the you know, you read a lot about JavaScript fatigue and and all that. Um, I think the huge source of it is from the millions of options and the millions of blogs of people saying, like, this is the best one. Oh, this yeah. is the best one. Um, and I am all about that. Like you know, feel free to read those um, and, and make your own choice. But we the hard part is configuring it from all these blogs and configuring it from some version that was a year old blog. Um. So when we provide that, you know the setup for you, and you can look at it like, oh, line five changes the source file to here. That's kind of the the hard part of figuring it out and getting it to work on the first build is kind of done for you, and then you can go in and tweak the values after that.
0: Yeah, I have to say that by far one of the, the biggest strengths of Ionic that I found is just being able to build something quickly, like get something up and running, having the tooling in place uh, for you guys to take a lot of that, uh, away from the developer, and you know, a lot of the development uh, iterations and workflow are just really, really good in Ionic. Uh, so it, that's that's definitely something that is a strength of what you guys been able to accomplish.
4: Well, thanks. I
1: mean, we we do we, <laughs> you
4: know, we we agonize over this stuff, and we're always looking for feedback because yeah, yeah, it's there's a lot
1: of moving parts, and we're trying to you know smooth it all out as as we can. And yeah, with, with Ionic one, this was all pretty simple because it's still just like, well, you can concatenate them all into one big file and things just work. And the CLI also made things a lot easier, like setting up SAS for you. But now it's amazing how much the world has changed in two years of how like modulized everything is. So we're kind of having to rethink like the roles of the CLI and kind of breaking apart and using an npm correctly. Um, that it's that. I and mean, yeah, like Tim was saying, really dog it. And we've been getting a lot of feedback from the users, which has been great. It's like, why do you do it this way? And like, oh, and are like, oh, I didn't realize this was a better way. So it's awesome to have so many people involved already with it.
0: Yeah. One thing I want to quickly uh, mention, I forgot to mention at the top of the show, if you do have questions, if you're watching live, and we do have a lot of people actually uh, watching live right now, and you have questions for anyone on the Ionic team, you can tweet with the hashtag NGAIR, N-G-A-I-R, and we will ask them near the uh, the top of the hour. So um, jumping to another thing you guys have, uh, I mean you guys have been really prolific this past uh, year, it's crazy, Um, and I I actually hadn't seen this until I started looking around uh, for the show again, is the ionic market. Uh, So can you tell me a little bit about the
2: ionic market
0: and uh, what you're trying to do there?
2: Um, yeah, so the ionic market is pretty much just a marketplace where you can go online. Um, it's market.ionic.io in case anybody doesn't know, and you can go up there and, um, you can submit themes, starters, um, plugins for your ionic apps and other developers can go on the marketplace and they can search through the themes and starters and such. And some of them will be free. Some of them will cost money, but you can pay for any of them that you want. Um, and right now, I don't believe it supports Ionic 2, but I know that we're planning on adding the um, the 2.0 as a version that you can upload. So that's pretty much the marketplace.
0: So how many uh, plugins are there? There, do you call them plugins that are, or, or what's the term we use for uh, what's on the marketplace?
4: Oh, yeah. so I don't know. I they're templates. <laughs>
1: yeah, actually, I don't know how much we we should have gotten that number. But like one thing I do want to like point out is like the the market itself is not something that like we plan to get rich from. That was it was never the intention that that is like uh, something that we get profits from. It was more for enabling developers to quickly get set up and to also like provide that um, provide a way to for Ionic developers to make an income. Um, so we don't take any cut from what goes on there. And it'll actually, and a lot of the links also point to different um, websites that sell um, themes and packages and stuff. So really, all it's there for is just um, making it easier for Ionic developers to get started, especially if you saw something that was like, oh, this is a great conference app that I've seen someone else build. If I spend $5 on it, I just save myself a couple weeks. And you also have a well-built app that you can just start tweaking there. So it's not about us making money because we're not making any money off of it. It's about letting developers um, really get started quickly, and also to you know themselves profit from building their own Ionic themes to sell.
5: Do you know if a lot of people use it?
2: Do a lot of people use it? Um, right now, we have about seventy thousand sessions every month, nice. and we've received a lot of good feedback on it.
0: Um, okay, so Ionic View. I haven't actually had a chance to use this yet, but I was gonna start looking to it like is it similar to test flight or how does it like differ from uh test flight? that's what it, I, I gathered is what it is sort of like
4: yeah so i actually have not personally used test flight so we're in the opposite situation but the impression i got from test flight was that it was ios only um and it was limited to like a specific group of testers um so kind of similar motivation also works on android basically allows you to upload any code of any project you're working on, and then it's immediately available to anyone who has the uh, view app that you have shared your project with. Um, so we really see two kind of groups of people using it. People who are developing an app, maybe doing consulting work or something, and they have clients who want to keep up to date with the changes that are being made. Um, and so then you can push those changes instantly to your clients. And then also people who maybe want to build for iOS but don't have a Mac, um, but they do have an iPhone. Um, and so then it allows you to kind of target, um, deploy targets that you that wouldn't otherwise be available. Um, and so, yeah, we've seen a lot of, it's it's pretty popular, um, and I'm happy to say we'll be uh, giving it some more love pretty soon.
5: Do you plan on supporting Windows Phone as well? That's yeah. an executive question. Yeah, uh,
1: <laughs> absolutely. Actually, um, Randy's smiling over there because just in Ionic, Beta, ionic 2 beta 3 just landed with uh, Windows support. Um, so it, it's actually pretty awesome. And, you know it's, it's been a highly requested feature that um, was kind of a challenge to pull off with the state of Windows Phone and the, the error that ionic 1 was out because Windows Phone 8 was pretty was pretty bad and a lot of the CSS didn't work. So we it was and knowing like the numbers that Windows Phone had is always a challenge to say that yes, we're going to dedicate months of our time to try to get this to work. But since Edge has hit on um, Windows Phone's platform um, and the new structure that we have our CSS laid out with the uh, Ionic 2, we were able to, what was it, Brandy, three, four days, you added the entire Windows Phone support?
2: Yeah, pretty much three days.
1: Yeah, so I think that's like a testament to both Brandy and her skills, but also like um, the, just how this, the structure of the new Ionic 2 is set up, where it's not... We started with iOS 6, and then we added, oh, let's change it around a little bit, make it look like iOS 7. Oh, geez, there's this new thing called mature design. Let's kind of change it around a little bit more, make it look like mature design. Like, oh, now people want to have Windows Phone. So from that lessons learned of how we structured V1 and how now V2 is structured, we could add in 50 platforms um, that all have a different design. And actually, that's another cool thing about, excuse me, back to the marketplace is that other people can add their own themes and their own colors and um, layouts and modes. So there's, it's kind of a, um, a pretty cool structure that we can pull off now.
0: With that, is it all uh, SAS-based, or are you using like, different styling mechanisms, um, or is it kind of more open than it was in Ionic one?
2: It's still entirely in SAS right now.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, um, there's the different options that we had. Um, two, three years ago, a lot of people were on our case of like, you got to use less and not SAS, but we, you kind of had to pick one, because in my opinion, like, if both of them were um, identical, but we saw that SAS was, like, more widely used and it had the um, C bindings and it was faster compiling, so we went with SAS. It wasn't that we didn't like less, it's just that that's the one we picked. And um, because there's so many Ionic users that are familiar with SAS and they like it, um, we kind of stuck with it, and, and I personally love SAS, too. I mean, I think it works great. And there's a the newer one that's a uh, uh, post-CSS. Um, looked into that quite a bit. Looks really, really cool. But I didn't see any immediate benefits of making the entire ionic switch over to it. Because it was largely, it was like the comparison of less to SAS. It's like, all right, there's one minor difference here. Um, but it wasn't, I don't think, switching everyone over to that just for the sake of, like, it's newer than SAS. Um, I just don't see the benefits in it. So that's why I'm kind of stuck with SAS.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. I, I mean, I think the one thing, and this is just our own personal preference, but it's one of these, like, things that I, I if you guys happen to uh, go down this path, I'd be uh, over the moon, I guess, is uh, the f- full JS styling. So it's, it's sort of, and there's a couple people are experimenting with this now. It's not necessarily ready for prime time, I don't think there's there's a number of things like certain things that are going into the um, CSS standards that will help with media queries and and, um, and some other like uh, pseudo classes but I, I if if one day we could have a style framework that's just pure js and it works like extremely well like that I think would be the ultimate like and uh, not having to deal with any of the other CSS preprocessors
1: and, and what I I think is cool about V2 is that um, all this is highly possible, like every single you know, SAS file is modulized out, that it could be, you could, I think you're, you're describing now, was it CSS modules, which is kind of the project that, that does yes, a lot
0: that's of, one of Yeah, yeah.
1: Yep. I did a lot of research into that, and, and um, read up on it, like of toying around with it, and, and kind of what you alluded to is like it's still kind of experimental, and it does do some cool things. Um, I don't want to knock it at all. I think it's really cool. a really great idea. You know scoping CSS down to one thing. is a really cool idea but um, the mental overhead of what people are familiar with and how SAS already works and how easy it is for just a Designer who knows Photoshop and CSS how easy it is for them to just go in and change the font size Um, It all just kind of makes sense to them to what they're already familiar with so I didn't want to introduce this whole new world of experimental features um, because, you know, let's be honest, everyone's got an app to create, you know, or not. You can, you can build, the, you can use these of features on the weekends, but people have, you know, they have deadlines. And so that's why, you know, Ionic is more focused on that. Definitely. All
0: right. Um, one thing we didn't talk about with as far as uh, features or, or something, not features, but different things that you guys are working on is um, the push like service that I think, uh, I forget, whether I saw whether that is available yet. Last time I think we talked, it was something that was still kind of in the works. So is that something that is available now? Uh, How does it work? If not, when when do you think it will be available?
4: Yeah, that's a a good question. Um, That is from our kind of suite of services that that we're offering to help and speed up app development. as of right now, I believe it is fully working. It's in a working state. There's just a plug-in you include to do kind of the hot code push mechanism, um, very similar to, you know, the, the other ones that you're familiar with um, that bypasses the, the app store wait time. Um, and, yeah, uh, I believe the, they, the services came out... And there was kind of the initial testing version, like, okay, let's see how this works out. And as far as I know, it's all it's all stable and working great.
0: So, well, I mean, one thing I, I've never, I guess, understood, and maybe you guys have a better insight on this, is you know, why doesn't Apple, like, shut something like this down? Like, uh, it seems like they allow, they're so stringent about their guidelines for when you make updates, right? Like, the, the approval process and stuff like that, which is the reason why things like this feature is, is so awesome, like being able to get stuff out there quickly. Um, but sort of I, I, I'm always wondering why they don't allow it in, Will they someday, like just kind of
4: yeah, shut it off. that's a great question. And um, along with like your line of thinking, you know, they're very stringent on adhering to the style guidelines and stuff. It seems kind of counterintuitive. But um, as far as I'm aware, um, they have explicitly said that it is – Allowed and you know Apple is always allowed to, to lock the gates at any point because they're Apple. But I think at this point the the cat is out of the bag, and I think if they were to some at this point take it away, there's just way too much infrastructure of, of apps based on this at this point in time. Uh, then they've come out and said explicitly, hey, this is allowed by our terms of of service, and I don't think it's uh, going away anytime soon.
0: Okay, cool. Now. One thing I saw, I was looking at the roadmap document that Brandy had uh, tweeted out, uh, I think it was earlier this morning or yesterday, and uh, one thing I hadn't noticed before that I'm very interested to hear about is this uh, agnosticism initiative, am I saying the right agnosticism? Uh, Can you guys tell tell us a little bit about that?
1: I want to go look, what did I, what did we write? Uh,
2: the, the React bindings, uh, Angular 1 bindings, you know, all of that stuff.
1: Sure, sure. Um, yeah, I mean, we want to make sure that, that people can build apps quickly, that they can, you know, get their, their projects completed. Um, Angular has always been a way to do that, and that's what many people are familiar with. But it's, you know, I, I'm not saying that we're abandoning Angular whatsoever, because we're not, we actually, I love Angular, and we use it in everything we use but we don't want to lock ourselves into just one thing. So it's always something that we're exploring that, like, the core of of Angular, or I'm sorry, the core of how Ionic works um, does not have to be tied to just one type of framework. Um, And so it's always something that we're, we're looking into, and there's you know, no promises. Like, this isn't something that we've even started, but it's something that we, we don't want to say that we're going to ignore either. Um, we're always keeping an eye on the React community. REC is really awesome. Like, we've been we've built some projects with it. It's a really cool um, framework. But um, we've kind of started with Angular first. Is how it was. And and even if you look at the the history of the version one um Ionic, we had folders for um jQuery, Angular and Ember were the different things that we're gonna build out. And we started with the Angular and that was the one that immediately took off. That was the one that everyone wanted to use. And so um as as hard of a work as it is to build you know a framework, we're just like all right, let's just let's just go all in on Angular and that's kinda of what it goes to. So I guess the, what I'm really getting at is that we're we're Ionic, and we build uh, a mobile framework. We're not trying to tie ourselves to one specific way of doing things. However, the current version uses the you know amazingly blazing fast framework of Angular two, um, the latest and greatest that has just like kind of the best standards based JavaScript. So um, we absolutely love it. So that's that's kind of the one we're using that we'll continue to use. Um, but we're not going to just say like that's the only thing we're going to do ever. Traitor! Right. <laughs> Someone <laughs> <I> said. <laughs>
0: Now, in the list, though, it, it listed um, on the document Angular 1 bindings. So does that mean basically the Angular 2 framework but you would use, or Ionic 2 framework would you use Angular 1 bindings? Is that, is that what you were thinking about?
1: Yeah, that's also the same same thing along the lines. Is like if we were able to um, pull that up, again, like Angular, Ionic 2, you know, is just a bunch of um, functions, right? Like we can wire them up to anything. So that was something that we were investigating. Um, but I will say I'm not too optimistic on that being able to to work um, Without a couple years of development which in a couple years you should just might as well just move over to Not wait on me to complete that or us to complete that but see go to anger two. so um, so again That's something that we're researching, but um, it's, There's again no promises that that's something that we're going to like be able to pull off That almost be like a v1 refactor Yeah, like I mean at that point if you have to rewrite all of your javascript but still use Angular 1, but get all the new features of, of Ionic 2, but still be limited by Angular 1's performance. So I was like, if you're rewriting everything, I would probably recommend it to just uh, just go with I- Ionic 2, with Angular 2.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. OK, and uh, so what would you say is the sweet spot for Ionic apps? You know, so uh, what, I know this is kind of a little bit evolved over the years, but. Um, do you think that basically, how do you pitch it to other people these days? Like, are you basically saying that anybody and everybody should be using Ionic for, like, all use cases, or are there a certain set of use cases that you guys feel are the ideal ones uh, to fit in well with what you are working on?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's, there's definitely times you would and would not use Ionic. So let's say that you are YouTube and you're building your, your native application for IOS. If you were the, you know... CTO of YouTube I would probably say you should use native actually I would tell you to use native um, Same thing for if you're building um, Angry Birds a 3d game a racing game you're building like uh, you're one of the top ten apps in the uh, app store play store Facebook you know all those things that that's absolutely a native app thing But then for the rest of us the people who have you know business applications um, internal sales applications enterprise stuff that's that businesses are actually using on a day-to-day purpose or day-to-day um, That's where Ionic really shines And I think that what I love about Ionic and why it's shaped the way it is is that it really allows um, companies to kind of reuse their existing skills. Because most companies have in-house web developers and web designers. Um, They don't have iOS developers and Android developers, and and the skill sets to be able to do both of them at the same time, and even Windows. so to to say like, well, I, I see you made that blog, could you also make an Ionic app? We're now enabling all these people that weren't able to do it before that they now can't. So that's kind of the sweet spot that, that we really like. And and back to kind of the enterprise um thing, that's that's where we see a majority of our um, apps being built is kind of the enterprise crowd um for their internal apps and stuff that they want to put together quickly and that they can do in-house without having to hire out you know many multiple contractors for months at a time. So
5: that's- last week we had Native Um I promised that we would ask the same question that we asked them. Um, how do you compare with NativeScript and what are your strengths or weaknesses
1: about yeah, to them? Yeah, NativeScript is a really cool project. I mean it's um, but I think it kind of backs kinda of my points about like the, the web development side of things. Um, you can have someone who is really f- comfortable with Photoshop and CSS. Inspect the element and change the color of the CSS really quickly. Um, you can have designers um, easily contribute to the app development. You can have in-house developers, whereas kind of these other abstractions that are out there, they kind of uh, require um, just core developers to be able to, you know, build out these apps, which is absolutely fine. You know, I'm not, I don't want to knock native script whatsoever or you know, React Native. I think they're both great projects, but I think they're more linked, you know, more on the side of native developers where it requires, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of skill set in, you know, code development. Whereas with Ionic, we're able to reuse all the stuff you already know, and like, one of the best examples is like, Ionic, we don't really provide a way to debug our apps because we have this thing called um, Chrome. And, you know, Safari web tools, you know, like, everything's kind of built for us. Like, I can ask, you know, any web developer, how do you inspect an element and see what the color is? And I can ask them, how do you do that in Ionic? They already know, whereas I ask them, well, how do you do that in, in native script? You know, like, they would have to research that quick and, and explain that to you so um, it's not a dig against the other the other frameworks it's just that you know there's there's more people that are familiar with web development than there are with kind of these abstractions and another thing I like to point out is how um, these ideas of you know providing writing it once in JavaScript and then it kind of like abstracts it to these different platforms that's not exactly a new idea that's something that they've been doing long before Ionic was even created. You know, there's Titanium, um, Steroids, or some else, Xamarin. Xamarin um, has been doing this for a long, long time. So these are, like, kind of frameworks that have existed for a long time. These, this, The last two are kind of just the most recent ones. Um, that was, again, well before Ionic existed, and, and I think our our adoption adoption, and how people, you know, have seen Ionic has kind of shown, like, its value in, in providing making it easy for web developers.
5: We should um, have two... Uh, Yeah, just also one huge point for Ionic, I think, is that you can have a website with Ionic, and people don't have to install the application. So
1: yeah, exactly, and that's and like we were talking about earlier about progressive web apps. Um, that's something we really want to tackle. Is like if you want to have you know on the again on the website, you want to have it server side rendered. You want to have inside a Cordova app. Windows Windows Phone Android iOS you name it like Ionic can do all that and it's the exact same code base and we really haven't talked too much about the themes and, and how we have the SAS colors but um, the JavaScript itself is is completely dumb about design it doesn't know anything it's just the core logic of how things happen you can go in there and get crazy about like what theme you want just by changing a couple of lines of uh, lines of code like you can have the entire dark theme instead of a light theme by changing two lines of code um, so there's just a lot of power in in being able to use the web, um, that, again, works great for a lot of developers, and um, we're really proud of um, of how it works. And that's also said, like, in the last year um, since these other two frameworks have come out, if you look at our NPM stats, we've continued to grow. So it really – I think there's a, a little bit of overlap of, you know, our development and theirs – like there are some developers that have to make a decision which one they should use, but you know, big picture, I think that there's there's not a large overlap of um, web developers wanting to use um, these other kind of abstractions over like something that they're familiar. With.
0: I mean, one thing that I've come to the conclusion on with this that I so I've been trying out essentially all three uh, of the major sort of things that were, were these three weeks that we're talking about: native scripts, Ionic, and React Native. And one thing that I've come to the conclusion of is that most developers should start off. Like especially Angular developers trying to use Ionic first, uh, if nothing else. Even if later on there's some reason, in particular the app that you're building that makes you move to, you know, one of the other options, it is much easier to get started, and it actually fits more use cases than probably people think. Uh, you know, especially because most of the time people are building business apps, like you mentioned, Adam. So, yep. I, I think that's definitely all true.
1: And and also like. In all the comparisons that have been made. I mean, I love the comparison because it really shows that, you know, like the, the value of Ionic. Because you know, to, to compare it against Ionic, I think is a, is a compliment. But they're also comparing it to V1. So I just I can't wait to see a lot of the, the blogs that are coming out of um, comparing it to V2. And we've had we made major performance improvements just in the last month. And I've got many more. We both got or we've all got many more to add on to the, in the next month. Angular is going to be cutting out a lot of code to make their um, startup time faster. File size a lot smaller. So if you compare it to what we have in, uh, in our 2.0 branch right now, it's it's blazing faster than 1.0. I can't wait to show you what we have like this summer of how much faster it's going to be, and then to have those comparisons made of you know the spring's version versus you know native. It's like I I just can't wait to welcome it, you know, because it it really is like a, a pretty awesome awesome framework.
0: So you do have a couple of Twitter questions. Uh, one of them that or two of them actually fit in really well with what we're talking about right now. Uh, first from Larry King who's asking what user experience short shortcomings are the most common within hybrid apps and what is Ionic doing to close these gaps? And, and since you, we sort of started to mention that at a high level with, with performance maybe, you know, I, I'd be interested in, like, some of the specifics for, like, I know the t- common stuff that I, I'm aware of is, like, long lists, for example, like scrolling with long lists, um, and maybe you know some other stuff. So what are some specifics around that what you guys have changed to make things faster?
1: Yeah, so that's that's a that's a great one like because there are a lot of like things that developers Unknowingly do to slow down the apps um, Like you pointed out list is probably the biggest one and we've kind of got three three ways around that um, you got the refresher that would only load what you have you pull down the refresh And it's going to load only kind of new data at a time you've got infinite scroll um, that it loads, let's say, fifty at a time. You can scroll down to the bottom. so like Twitter would do the infinite scroll, and then you can kind of load them at a time. And then what we haven't, what hasn't landed, but should land in Beta Four, is the um, virtual scroll, where you could have, and what what we called collection repeat in um, Angular One. And actually, the the performance improvements we've been able to add to this version because we're using native um, scrolling instead of JavaScript scrolling is pretty awesome. I mean, it's this is the this is the part where you know people compare, like, look at Ionic. Um, compared to native lists, um, this is the one I'm really looking forward to seeing the comparisons because with native scrolling, the modern phones that we have today, and how we're able to update the DOM, like, you know, I guess we've also learned a lot about how the DOM works, of when to read and write. Um, it's very, very smart about, like, I'm very conscious of when to read and write the DOM. So, um, we, like you said, we're doing a lot of these things to make lists a lot faster for them. Um other stuff that includes would be like how kind of page transitions work. You could have um, ten different pages loaded up. The last page is going to be viewable, the second to last page is also going to still be in the DOM. It's sitting there ready to go so that when you hit the back button, it immediately doesn't have to re render it, doesn't have to bring it back forward. It's just like it's sitting there ready to go, animates back in, and then it queues up to one before it. So there's a lot, a lot of stuff happening under the hood to allow these these things, these performance improvements to happen. Um, to include also our animations of how we're using. Under the hood, we're using, um, you know, the will change property because we know exactly which elements we're going to change. Um, we get them all spun up. We get the browser ready, ready to animate things out. And um, and that's also like you test out Ionic two. Um, um, test on Ionic two. The performance of the transitions is is looking pretty good. Like I'm really really proud with how it's turning out. Um, to include having a completely different interaction for Windows Phone and Material Design and how iOS does their thing. So. Um, and allow users to go in and customize that. So I'd say, yeah, we do a lot of things to make sure that you don't shoot yourself in the foot um, and provide us too much data or um, be able to render too many pages. Um, but then also having flags to allow people to, to tell us where to go.
0: I guess the other major thing is stuff within AEO2 itself. So you know, if you do run into things, being able to use something like the change section strategy for on push so that it only updates the specific pieces of change. That probably really makes a big difference from an Angular 1, like Ionic 1 app as well.
1: Yeah, on that point, we do a lot of, um, we also very conscious about what happens in the zone and what happens outside the zone, because there's lots of it, touch events, scroll events. There's lots of different types of asynchronous events that could happen. And for people newer to Angular 2, there's a thing called Ng Zone that then kind of like, it's kind of like the new dollar apply, where it kind of figures it out for you. It realizes that something happened. Um, the browser did something asynchronously, let's update the whole app to see, to see if there's any changes. Um, but there's a lot of those times that that doesn't need to happen at all. And within Ionic, we're aware of like, all right, this, change, this touch start, this touch move does not need to cause the entire change detection. So there's a lot of things we're doing there too to, um, to not constantly reload your app or like re- redo change detection on your entire app.
0: That's awesome. Last question on Twitter. Is from Meath Wells, who <laughs> I don't know whether he, he asked this cheaply or, or, or what, but uh, yes, can, can we hear the milestones for Ionic Native? Which it sounds like is, is not a thing, but.
4: <laughs> oh, yeah, milestones for Ionic Native. OK, one big one that I can think of off the bat is to get all of the wrappers for the uh, Cordova core plugins uh, into Ionic Native. So if anyone's familiar with the NG Cordova product project uh, for version one, that kind of provided these nice angular wrappers around Cordova plugins. Ionic native has kind of similar goals. Um, and that actually ties into the, the first question from Twitter. You know, what are some of the, the uh, issues that people encounter during hybrid development? One of the, the other things that we want to really increase or improve the story for is, is plugins. And Ionic kind of has that, Ionic native is kind of um, tackling that same issue. So milestones would just be plugins, plugins, and plugins. Um, we're really encouraging uh, community contributions. Um, just merged in a bunch of pull requests the other day. Um, it's pretty easy to contribute to because it's just a thin wrapper over the plugins. Um, and then yeah, just trying to make it so that the docs are as clear as possible, and uh, we support as yeah, much sure. functionality. Historically,
1: that that's always been an issue. Is you know. We started out with ionic of like here. We built this great framework start using it and people are like okay Yeah, but now I want to use bluetooth. What are do we doing? We we're just kind of looking at each other like oh, yeah then We got to figure that out, too So we were kind of late in the game of making it easy for developers to to figure that stuff out But with ionic 2, you know, so we did come up with ng Cordova kind of solve the problem But with ionic 2, um, we definitely are making it a lot easier especially in this new npm Modulized world of how you would include um, Cordova plugins easily into ionic and really not even just ionic into any project. We don't. This isn't just an, an Ionic only thing. So
4: um, yeah, it works with any Cordova thing, but it just gives you kind of several nice side effects. Like it'll warn you in the console and not throw any errors if you don't have the plugin installed, or you know a lot the the workflow between the browser locally and on an actual device when you're trying to use plugins and test against them. You know there were some challenges there, and. Ionic native kind of tries to smooth that over, so you know, say you, you forgot to install the plugin or something and your app is breaking, instead of crashing everything, it just kind of gives you a nice message and
1: some straightforward diagnostics. Yeah, analysis. and another thing about the, the word ionic native, it's not like, it's not necessarily mean native um, phone development. it's more like, it can also mean the native browser. So like, if you build out your app to have like um, storage that you want to use, If you're on the web, it's going to use the appropriate storage that's available on the web. If you're on Cordova, um, iOS, it's going to be able to use what's available on iOS. So it's kind of like smoothened over that you can code once, like you write, um, "Give me this key and let me do something with this data. Under the hood, it's going to say like, oh, I'm on a a browser, so let's use local storage, let's use whatever's available, indexed DB. So um, that's also kind of the the point behind Ionic Native is to access the native features. So what's the other one, like geolocation, things like that. Stuff that's available everywhere.
4: Yeah, um, so it'll make use of the browser APIs if they're there, and if not, you know, fall back to whatever nice formatted right. message. The other nice thing is TypeScript definitions. So yeah. all you do is you import from the module, and then boom, you got autocomplete everything, all the IE support, which is also very nice.
0: If you were to create one of those Microsoft, I think it was ACE, right, Microsoft ACE plugins, would that be something through as well?
4: That is a good question. Um, I think it's more of a plug-in thing, although, yeah, we're really impressed with Ace, and, and it's something we'd have to take a look at um, as well. You know, maybe there's a component section to the Ionic Native project where you would just include those components as well.
0: Well, so maybe it seems like, from what you guys are saying here, with, with definitely Ionic Native, and maybe if there's a future thing with uh, Microsoft Ace, which is another way of building plugins to, like, interact with native functionality that for apps that might be, you know, 80%, 90% business apps that just need basic functionality, but then you need, like, one or two, like, native features. Mm -hmm. This would be the thing that closes that gap, right? Yep. Yeah,
1: definitely. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and then, like, making it easier, because I think right now, existing Cordova landscape was kind of a challenge to, Get a good plugin. Understand how to import it correctly. But now with this new world of um, modules and ES6, or modules and npm, uh, kind of like taking it to the next level, making it easy for them to import it into their new structure. Yeah, and and also centralized documentation. So instead of you know having to
4: chase down all of the areas, like we make sure the docs make sense for every plugin. It's like right. I I just want to use Bluetooth. I just need to know how to do that. Here it's on the Ionic website. Here's how you use Bluetooth.
0: So we are at the top of the hour. Uh, it's been an awesome conversation. Is there something that we may have missed about Angular or Ionic 2 that you guys wanted to make sure we go over?
1: Um, no, I mean, I, 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 I could easily go on for another couple hours. But like, to, to sum it up, yeah, I mean, it's something that we're really, really proud of. And I think we've, we, in this month, we've kind of hit the point of, like, please start testing out. Please start using it. We know that there's already a lot of, um, there's some apps that have been hit the to Play Store and App Store. Um, that they're using. We have a lot of internal customers that are are building it, or internal, a lot of enterprise users that are using it internally. Um, So it's great to see it starting to get really adapted, and um, we're going to like to start slowly transitioning people over to the Ionic 2 world um, over this next year.
0: Awesome. All right, let's get to our tips and picks. Uh, Just a quick note before we do that, that next week on Tuesday, the 15th, uh, we are... For the four, or Monday the 14th, that's right, we did change the date for it, but it's going to be actually on Monday um, at, at 2 p.m. Eastern. We're talking to Mark Lovell, who has championed uh, using React Native within Angular 2, uh, so that should be a very really interesting uh, conversation to see how we kind of mesh these two disparate worlds. Uh, So we're looking forward to that. And then uh, the week after that, Tuesday, March 22nd, we're talking to Julie Ralph about Angular 2 testing with Protractor, Karma, all that type of stuff. Uh, So definitely tune in for both of those. All right, let's get to our picks, starting off with Olivier. Uh,
5: Yeah, so I have uh, three picks this week. Um, The first one is an article on uh, wrangle.io, which is upgrading your application to Angular 2 with ng-upgrade. And it's a really complete guide if you want to start working on your um, your application with Angular 2. Uh, I have uh, yes, so I have a project that I just did this weekend, and it's uh, an universal Windows app. Um, and I made a starter if you want to try Angular 2 with uh, Windows universal apps, which should build on Windows 10, Windows Phone, Xbox, uh, and Surface. Um, it only works on Windows 10 <laughs> for now because Angular 2 doesn't work on Edge, but still. Um, and Angular 2 just released uh, the milestone for Angular 2 release candidates, so go check this out. Uh, the final version should be coming soon. I hope. <laughs> That's, all. That's all.
0: Yeah, there's actually a countdown site that uh, is tracking the estimated time when the release candidate will be there. I forgot what it said. I'll put a link in the show notes for that. All right, uh, Josh.
2: Hi. Thanks very much for having me on. I'm sorry, I keep cr- crashing out during the uh, show. Um, I just wanted to say that um, so Angular Connect is coming again at the end of this year um, in mm-hmm. September. And uh, we've just announced our workshop, so um, if you're interested in the Ionic stuff we've been talking about, um, there's actually going to be an Ionic workshop with Sunny Yusuf called "Building Mobile Apps with Ionic 2." So um, go to www.angularconnect.com and have a look there, because spaces are limited. Thanks very much. Cool.
0: I just have one pick for this week, uh, and it's it's going to sound like a troll, but it's not. Uh, It's actually uh, React Native Radio uh, podcast, uh, episode six. They went over React Native versus hybrid. And it was funny because I I listened sort of expecting them to just, like, rip on Angular and and Ionic and everything else with the ecosystem, like, the whole time, which they did a little bit. But uh, I was actually surprised by they they gave tons of love for Ionic. Like, it it was actually pretty amazing that just – the they had the guys that do uh, Touchstone, which is an Ionic-like framework on the React side, and the creator of that framework. And he just talked about how much like Ionic inspired him, and they they went into like a lot of use cases and were pretty even-handed with like where Ionic shines and such. Uh, I mean, they, they did get a little rip a little bit into uh, Angular, of course, but um, of course, yeah. I, I did think it was pretty interesting to hear guys that are like React native fanboys still promoting Ionic uh I'll, I'll post the link to that cool. uh, Adam and Tim why don't you guys go
4: um, yeah I just wanted to make a quick plug for ionic native and that if anyone is plug uh, yeah yeah no just if anyone is interested or has plugins that they want to see supported it's pretty simple to add plugins that you're interested in um, and we're really encouraging like the community to step in so it's an easy first PR for people looking to get into open source.
0: Cool. Well, what about you, Adam?
1: Yeah, actually, I don't have anything too much different than what I've been talking about for the last hour. It's like, um, we absolutely love the Ionic community. Um, it's been great. Like, we've got a lot of PRs been submitted that we've been um, merging and a lot of uh, issues that have been created, people helping us out with, like, kind of debugging. So, if we can ask for more help, um, like, helping us make Ionic awesome is great. So, like, if you want to be a first time contributor, please, you know, Feel free to hit us up on Slack on like what you can do. Um, we want to make it easy. It's I will say it's very challenging. Um, we've got we've closed over four thousand issues in the history of Ionic. Um, we get many a day, so it is a, it is very time consuming. But we want to be able to help you out. Um, so but but please don't get upset with us if we don't respond quickly. But we're trying our best. It's just kind of a numbers game.
0: On that note, uh, I forgot to mention earlier, but uh, Patrick and I have been talking that we are going to get Ionic to working with server rendering. That's, like, on our list, so we'll uh, be talking soon about that. Uh, Brandy?
2: Yeah, so I just wanted to add, um, we released Beta 3 of Ionic yesterday, actually, and with that came the Windows phone support, Um, and if you want to add the Windows support to your app, we've actually added some steps for it in the change log.
0: Cool, thanks, Brandy. Uh, Mike?
3: Um, Yeah, so with all the new... New bits of Ionic 2 coming out and things kind of uh, actively changing as time goes on. I uh, just want to plug the Ionic Slack channel and the Ionic forum. I, you'll basically, if you don't hear an answer from me within like an hour or a day, uh, something's wrong with me. So, you know, I'm in there all the time, ask your questions, and I help out as much as I can.
0: Great, thanks a lot, Mike. Thanks to the Ionic team for joining us. It's been an awesome show. Uh, really appreciate it. Join us next week to hear Mark Lovell talk about React Native and Angular 2. And make sure you follow us on uh, Twitter and Google+. Thanks a lot, guys. Have a good one.
4: Thanks. Bye.